I mean, it is mind-numbingly stupid. You like the marketplace of ideas? It's a convenient store of stupidity. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And this is Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Hey, Scott. Hey, Joe. Good to be with you. Joe Arnold here, your roundtable host, Kevin Grout, Sean Southerd. Lots of stuff going on this week, of course, to follow up on. We briefly touched uh, last time around, our last roundtable, on the Supreme Court nomination process, and we'll talk more about that. Scott, I know you have a new column coming out in newspapers. Uh, we have Donald Trump promising to pardon folks who stormed oh, the Capitol. Man alive. And then you have, uh, I'm going to ask later on about uh, Joe Rogan versus Whoopi Goldberg, a little cancel culture extravaganza here. But let's start off, Scott, because you you are writing about the uh, the Supreme Court nomination process here. And there's a, there's a you know a lot of I guess the, the, the big poll that came out in ABC News uh, Ipsos poll uh, that more than three quarters of the respondents said that Biden should consider all nominees, possible nominees, rather than considering only nominees who are black women as he has pledged to do. Yeah, I was really stunned at that number, actually, because I thought at least almost all Democrats would have supported Biden's tactic here, but that obviously wasn't the case. I do think it shows that uh, Democrats and their identity politics are often in a little bubble that they think is much bigger than it actually is. And Biden, you know, I think did a complete disservice to whoever he chooses. If you look at the list, all these people are qualified, experienced, and uh, you know, or deserve, you know, to be part of this process. And, and most of the people on the list, I, I think if you if they were nominated, you would say, well, that makes a lot of sense based on their academic and professional pedigree. But but he tagged them unfairly on the front end by by essentially tainting this process in a way that the American people, according to the poll you referenced, don't like. You know, my gut reaction to all this when it first broke was that Republicans ought to give Democrats the same circus that Democrats gave Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. When, remember, when Barrett was nominated, they didn't even they boycotted her hearing. So my gut reaction, you know, my blood was up, and I said, "Let's just let's just give them a circus and block vote against this." But I have reconsidered, and I'll be interested to see where you guys are on it. But my my view at this point is a. It looks like whoever Biden sends is going to be very well qualified. And possibly if he sends the judge from South Carolina, maybe not as liberal as I would have feared. B, Republicans here have a chance to do a couple of things. One, they could actually treat this process with the respect that it deserves and act like adults, which is something Democrats never do on these judicial issues. And B, and I think this is a, this is a key issue by treating an African-American woman nominee with respect, they're proving that Republicans here can send a message to the African-American community that's, that is simple. No matter your politics, conservative or liberal, if you've got the academic and professional qualifications to be here, we're going to treat you with respect. Now, that stands in stark contrast with Joe Biden during his campaign in which he told a talk show host, if you're having trouble figuring out who to vote for, you ain't black. It stands in stark contrast to of some liberal com uh, commentators who say that if you're not liberal enough, if you're not progressive enough, then you're, you don't count in the black conversation. You don't count as a, as a real you know, black person in good standing. 
which I totally reject, and I think it's completely ludicrous to argue that, but that's, that's essentially what Biden believes. Look at his history. Clarence Thomas was well qualified. He tried to destroy Clarence Thomas. Janice Rogers Brown, an African-American woman that George W. Bush put on the circuit, uh, the D.C. circuit, he filibustered her nomination to the circuit. They eventually broke that logjam. But then a month later, he went on national television on Face the Nation and said, if George W. Bush puts up Janice Rogers Brown, the African-American woman for the Supreme Court, I'll filibuster her again. So when a black conservative comes along, Joe Biden and the Democratic instinct is to immediately smack these people down, banish them from public service, try to get rid of them, try to silence them. And so if Republicans actually treat Biden's nominee with respect, to me, it will send a strong message that one political party is willing to show respect to a race, no matter their politics, and one political party only respects you if you don't get out of line. And so I think they're actually, because Democrats can confirm whoever, so I think there's some utility here for the Republicans in treating it with respect, treating it like adults. If the person is qualified, even if their ideology is more liberal, I could see someone getting some votes. And it might, it just might show the American people that this whole judicial war is only ever on when Democrats want it to be on. I guess the question is, in, in some respects, too, to me, and, and just to kind of take the 30,000-foot view of it for a moment, is that what qualifies someone to be a Supreme Court justice? Because I think in, in some people's minds, and I'm talking about the people who are the, maybe the most virulent on, on partisan-wise on, on, or judicial philosophy-wise on both, on both sides, is that you are automatically disqualified if you are an originalist. Or you're automatically disqualified if you're somebody who believes the Constitution is a, can be bent to your will depending upon what your political ends are. So I guess the question is, what, what are the – I guess my first question for you, Kevin. What, what do you think the – how people should vote? Should, should I vote to affirm or confirm uh, one of Joe Biden's nominees because this person has the, certainly the knowledge and the experience and apparently the, the disposition – you know, and in other words, they're not going to cause shame, you know, with their with their personal life. Or is it disqualifying to have a judicial philosophy that I believe is is opposite of, of what mine is? I think it's definitely not disqualifying um, because elections have consequences, and it's the prerogative of the president to nominate who he wants. And if you know the minority party doesn't like that, they should win the next presidential election. Um, I, I think it's it's pretty easy to find out if someone is nominated. They can, the, the, you know, the American Bar Association weighs in for whatever their opinion is worth. Um, but it's pretty easy to see if someone is within the realm of mainstream politics uh, or legal thought. Oh. <laughs> um, no one can see you looking at me astonishingly. Well, there, there's, a, there's a lot of eye traffic going back and no, forth. No, no, between I, I, I understand what you're saying because I, I think you're making a very reasonable point, but then I'm going to make one that's unreasonable, but go ahead. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and oftentimes it's, it's those who are actually in the, the legal academy or on the bench who are best able to see it. They have a lot of collegiality and I, they could come to a completely different conclusion on the law, but they can see how somebody else got there. And to, to play Scott's hypothetical out, and at this point it's only hypothetical if this is a responsible non-circus uh, confirmation, I think it would help let the air out of the balloon a little bit. I don't think anyone will be uh, 
rampaging and uh, banging on the doors of the Supreme Court uh, on confirmation day like they did after Justice Kavanaugh was confirmed? Well, it's a free it's a free shot here to restore some order and some dignity to this process because Democrats can confirm whoever they want. Republicans can do nothing about it. So essentially, it's like a free pass to get the procedure back into some kind of, you know, reasonable order because the outcome's already... And is already is set. So, from, so, uh, so that so so I, as I as I think about the world, you know, there's two things: there's process and there's outcomes. Outcomes are set, so all we can really do here is shape up the process, and and it's going to be Republicans that end up fixing this because Democrats. And here's my point: what's what makes a somebody qualified if you're a Democrat that they will literally vote the liberal position on every case 100 percent of the time? That's it. That's all they care about. They don't care about their academic pedigree, their professionalism, or what. They want the youngest, most reliable person they can get, period. They don't want somebody to read the Constitution. They don't want anybody to think too hard about it. Obviously, Sotomayor <laughs> is the modern-day example of this. They just want somebody to toe the line. That, that to me, is the biggest thing. It's been revealed throughout the Biden campaign and now his presidency and all these issues. They really don't respect individuals. They don't respect people who have individual thoughts. If you get out of line, they will cut your head off. If you're Joe Rogan and you get out of line, even though this man endorsed Bernie Sanders for president, they'll cut your head off. Laborers, blue-collar laborers, are literally having a what is essentially a unionized protest in Canada. The truckers. And they're ready to cut their heads off. Uh, you know, So on these court issues and on, on all this stuff, they don't allow for individual free thinkers. They want you to adhere to the narrative of the collective. That is the qualification. I'm just glad that Joe Biden's going to keep like one of the promises that he <laughs> ran on. You know, he promised on restoring civility. That didn't happen. Did not happen. He promised that he was going to be a moderate. Didn't happen. Bring people together, be bipartisan. Did not happen. But he also promised that he was going to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. I'm just glad he's going to keep one of his promises. You know, the, 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 the theme here, or the, maybe the, the common thread through uh, much of this is basically Joe Biden uh, just confusing the process. In other words, well, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of different things that he's been in charge of that have become just jumbled. It's you know, hard to so, say you know something here on your point and on yours. Biden promised during the campaign to appoint a black woman. He could have done that and kept that promise without saying he was going to do it. Right. He could have gone through a legitimate process in which many different people, white, black, Asian American, you know, there's there's a lot whoever, you know, pick pick your pick your melting pot, you know, and then picked a black woman and said at the time, I'm nominating the best person mm -hmm. for the job. I I interviewed all kinds of folks from all walks of life. I'm getting the best person for the job. And then someone would have remembered, oh yes. He said he was going to appoint a black woman, promise kept. But instead, they rushed out and put, you know, they, 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 they saddled this nominee with something that that person does not deserve to be saddled with. So he is keeping a promise, but even, even when he's keeping his promises, he's messing it up. I have a quick question for you, and this is somewhat hypothetical or rhetorical. So you mentioned Janice Rogers Brown. Yeah. 72 years old, respected jurist, retired a couple years ago. What if Joe Biden nominated her? on the Supreme Court. Black woman, it would fit the bill. Democrats would absolutely be in complete revolt because they don't respect 
black conservatives. I'm telling you, Biden said the quiet part out loud during the campaign. They don't respect black conservatives. We are in Louisville, Kentucky. We have a hometown newspaper, the Louisville Career Journal. I write for it, among others. You know, we have a we have a commentator here who said it in his last piece. Daniel Cameron, our attorney general in Kentucky, national figure now, Clarence Thomas, he said they, quote, don't count in the black conversation. They don't respect black conservatives. And they, and like I said, they only want a reliable vote on the court. This person being an African-American woman is, is a good thing. I think it's a good thing. But if, if it were an African-American woman who weren't gonna, who weren't gonna vote right, they wouldn't respect this. They, they wouldn't count this as a victory. Practically speaking, this poll comes out and Democrats are complaining that the questions were geared in such a way that to, to lead to this result. But that said, are there What? Any- Polling isn't good? <laughs> <laughs> but that said, are there any, given the fact of, of the midterm environment in the first place, the political environment, does this at all reveal anything to any of the uh, more middle-of-the-road Democrats saying, hey, maybe we should... Uh, you know, we should maybe be very careful about how we go about this. I actually think from a strategic point, following Scott's prescription here for Republicans and making this a respectful, easy, boring process. No, I didn't say easy. I actually think it should be Sorry. vigorous. But but I think I think but I think there's, I think but, there's a way to vigorously and thoroughly test this person without turning it into a friggin' circus. Without or without, shots, or right. without boycotting right. it, which is what they did you in Barrett. Right, you can certainly ask about judicial How about you show up records. and act like an adult and act like a U.S. senator should act? I mean, there's one, there's just a little, there's one idea. Yeah. But if you make it respectful and uh, boring, then I think it takes the political capital out of it. It's already boring because the outcome is set. The outcome is set. So my point is, this is going to be remembered for the historic nature of, a, of an African-American woman getting the appointment and going to the bench. And it's going to be remembered for however we act. And I want it to be remembered that it was Republicans who actually tried to restore dignity here. And it's only Democrats who conduct three-ring circus. I, I just think that, you know, traditionally in this country, there has been a, a certain amount of latitude given to a president to make nominations, whether they're cabinet appointments or whether they're sub- justices. And, I mean— there have been more times when the par- on the part of Republicans nominating people where the Democrats flip out and lose their minds over appointments than Republicans have. Um, and so I just – as Scott has said, the outcome is set. We should vigorously interrogate, figure out what this person believes. There should be no question about whether or not this person should hold office because of their skin color or because of their gender. And at the end of the day – Move on. I have two more practical questions for you before we, 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 we move on. One is, to your point, Scott, you said we can kind of press the reset button here. This is, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to be respectful. Do you think that will make any difference whatsoever the next time there's a Republican president and it, it comes back around? You know what? It, it, probably not because Democrats just the, – their hypocrisy knows no bounds, to quote Doc Holliday from the movie – Tombstone, which you recently watched, <laughs> which, which I saw for the first time uh, last week. He sat you down and watched and, it. <laughs> and but but I, but you know the next time we have a Republican White House, people like Sean and Kevin and myself will be out here talking about the next n- nomination battle. And I want to be able to say, I want to be able to say, look at what's happened over the last several. Democrats treated Trump's three like a circus. We treated Biden's hopefully, like it should have been treated. One, <laughs> you know, like professionals. We treated the person with respect, 
And so any objective review of the two parties' behavior, and so maybe maybe it makes a difference in working the refs on the margins, you know, when Trump or whoever the next Republican president is, you know, gets to go again. And uh, and so I, I, to me, it's worth trying. It's worth trying. My prediction is, now I'm going to ask my, my second question, my prediction is regardless of how respectful the process is, that people will still accuse any Republican who vigorously questions the nominee as being racist. And by the way, anybody who claims that will be doing a disservice to the nominee. Because look at the list. These people are obviously smart, qualified, professional people. They can stand on their own two feet. They don't need a bogus argument about racism. They can handle themselves. I'm hopeful that my my prediction is wrong. I mean, that's one thing that's going to oh, happen. Oh, it's, it's my, obviously going to happen. My, my second question for you guys all logistically is you have, um, of course, as we know, the Senate is 50-50 Democrat-Republican. You have uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, as the tie-breaking vote. Uh, but currently, you have one Democratic senator out of commission after suffering a stroke this past week, uh, New Mexico Senator uh, Ben Ray Lujan. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're all hopeful, certainly, that he had, makes a quick recovery, and, and that's, that's you know, politics aside, you always hope that everyone is going to be well, but it could be four to six weeks, some people are saying, and who's, you, know, you just never know about what's going to happen. So what, this, logistically, where does this leave the process? Well, I mean, I wish that Joe Biden would appoint Kamala Harris just to get her, you know, someplace else. You, you, mm-hmm. you and a bunch of Democrats, I think, agree on that, John, because <laughs> it was obvious to me there was about a 48-hour boom of Democrat media collusion trying to get rid of her out of the White House. They know, they know the liability, political liability she is. Well, I think currently there's two Republican senators who are in isolation because of COVID, COVID. which is that extra layer on it. That's so right. Democrats are still holding this whittled down right. majority. And of course, the Senate that does not allow remote voting, unlike the House. We're, we're, we're a couple of months away from this thing. I mean, OK, so it's not really a, a, a no. consideration. OK, well, I'm just curious. But to your to my to your question, then we'll move on. Uh, Kamala Harris, if in fact that this was, I don't think it's going to happen, but just, you know, it's, this, is, this is fantasy baseball. If, 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 in fact, it did happen, do you think that she would be confirmed by the Senate? There's a tradition, another tradition that Democrats have broken of senatorial courtesy, that senators really get a pretty easy confirmation process when they're up for an ambassadorship or a secretary uh, of a cabinet post. I, I, I bet Republicans would hold on to that. I don't know if there was. I will say reversed. that I, I, I don't find Harris, frankly, to be as compelling or as qualified, <laughs> truthfully, as, as the rest of the people that are on Biden's list. If you look at the judges and the different folks that Biden has put out, they're pretty compelling, qualified jurists. Kamala Harris has proven herself time and again to be empty and vapid. I mean, also, the last legal thing she did, you know, uh, back during the campaign was trying to bail out the violent rioters. She was raising money to bail out, you know, people committing violence on the streets. I mean, I... I <laughs> I think her political ideology and her political rhetoric and her political actions would cause her significant trouble in the nomination confirmation process. The rest of these folks, I don't think they're going to have that issue. They look they look pretty solid, like solid people to me. It wasn't that long ago that it was, you know, people of political parties were appointed to the Supreme Court. Earl Warren of the of California, governor appointed to the court. Or William Howard Taft, who served as Chief Justice a while ago. So this whole politics of the court and that sort of thing, it's, it's very normal. And so I think that we should just get over that and move on. Speaking of politics, I would be shocked if Joe Biden doesn't go with Jim Clyburn's pick out of South Carolina. I think those, see, those politics run deep. Well, I, I think I, she's, she, she is said to be more moderate. 
And she obviously has the support of Lindsey Graham, so she sounds like she's going to get at least one Republican yeah. vote. If I was part of a couple of Supreme Court confirmations in my service in the Bush White House, and so you know there are there are some thought process about okay, well, who can attract bipartisan support, and who's going to look like the most reasonable pick? There might be some Democrats out there who would rather not go with the moderate choice, who would mm-hmm. this the relatively moderate choice, who would rather go with the most proven progressive they can find, knowing they've got fifty one votes for whatever. I think Joe Biden has had enough of progressives after the last couple of months, and I think that Jim Clyburn wants it. I think Jim Clyburn delivered the White House for him, and I think Joe Biden remembers those kind of things. This is my personal thought. Oh, it would make a ton of political sense to do it this way, but but given where Joe Biden is after a year, he doesn't have a ton of political sense, obviously, so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> okay, political sense. Scott was over at my house uh, about a, a week ago. Uh, I, I made, for the first like four hours of, of the smoke, fantastic ribs, and then... You left them in a little too long. I left long. them in a little too long. They're, yeah. It was, and it just dried like, out. It was yeah, like the, the turkey at National Lampoon's yeah, Christmas yeah. vacation. That was right. That was the gift of the water. It was bad. I was, was, was that a 1980s movie you're familiar with? I know that one. I saw it this past week, this, this past year for the first time. Anyway, but I saw, but anyway, but Scott came over. We were just kind of just, we just visiting. And, you and did send me home with a with a half a rack of them, though. I did. I, Baxter loved with, with the best ones. You came to your dog. I do want a second chance. I really felt awful. I mean, we had to fill those water bowls every I time. Have been, I have been stewing about this all week long because they were going to be so good. If you had dropped them in a stew, they might have been better. Okay. Anyway, so he comes over, and we're, we're visiting, and I'm going through my my biggest you know dilemma right now is figuring out what TV plan I should go with. So we were kind of going through, and Scott was saying, oh, let's check out the channels you can find on the Roku. And we just happened to come across, we had forgotten that Donald Trump was speaking live that night in Texas. Texas. We watched the whole thing. Watch, and on Newsmax. Was, on Newsmax. OAN and Which, Real America I, News. I didn't know these channels were available. Three. But anyway, <laughs> I, I didn't well, they're, they're, and they were like the top three selections, but they yeah. were all carrying Trump. So we watched the speech and the post game. Yeah. Fascinating. Which was, which was something else. But that said, uh, so Don, but one of the first things we hear then is Donald Trump, I guess, promising to pardon those who have been, convi- or I guess, at least accused or, or convicted of crimes. Uh, with the uh, the the riot at the at the Capitol or the insurrection or whatever you you know whatever the word is of the day, I mean what uh, I, where do we stand here on on that? First of all, it just seems to me that this is it's almost like he's jumped the shark. I mean, believe it, we've thought about that a few other times, but is is this the the bridge too far? He had a big weekend because not only did he promise to pardon uh, the January six people, but then he put out the statement the next day, slamming Mike Pence for not directly overturning the election. Then the next day he had to put out a statement walking it back. So he had like a big sort of 72 hours. I do think it was noteworthy that that was Saturday night. Sunday morning on one of the Sunday shows, the first Republican senator to comment on this was Lindsey Graham, who recently has been kind of Donald Trump's main Sherpa back to the senator or whatever. And he came out and said this was wrong. It encourages violence. And then, of course, Trump turned on Lindsey again and said, he's a nice guy, but he's a rhino. And so... It was uh, it was kind of revealing that Lindsey's been working over Senator Graham has been working overtime to, you know, sort of be the pro-Trump voice, and yeah. we all have to have a relationship with Trump. And Trump turned on him immediately when he questioned uh, the idea of floating these pardons. Leader McConnell on the outside the the Senate and during his uh, the, the press confab there made it clear that what he said was the 165 people who have been convicted should stay basically should serve their sentences and should not be. Let go out of there. A direct uh, in contradiction to uh, 
to Donald Trump. But just just overall here, you know, where we are with Trump, you know, Scott, you and I were watching this. And one thing we both remarked upon, though, was regardless of substance, uh, it was just stark to me, just from a style perspective, Donald Trump seemed to be on his game. I mean, and especially, frankly, and it is what it is. Given the last year of Joe Biden, and I think Joe Biden maybe has even slowed somewhat in the last few months compared to even when he took office, Trump did this. He just looked more vigorous. Did you watch it, Kevin? No, I didn't. But this this is what you, what happens when you get off social media. If you're not sitting there tweeting every 20 minutes, you got a lot more energy. Well, well to his yeah, tactical points, I, I thought it was interesting because a lot of what we saw was off a teleprompter. Right. So it was obviously a written speech. They were making interesting points about, you know, he went through the policy progressions and, and pretty kind of pretty much stuck to it. He did a few riffs, but hmm. a lot of it was off the prompter and it was obviously very geared toward a message and and you know, it was very forward leaning. If I run and if oh, I win, I will I, do this. I mean, it's it sa- I I tweeted for, from your house. I said, <laughs> this is clearly a campaign kickoff speech. Now what I'm watching for is uh, in a few weeks the RNC meeting in New Orleans mm-hmm. is coming up. He's speaking. Pence is speaking. Like several of the hopefuls are speaking. So I want to see how much farther Trump goes at that speech to try to go ahead and and, and lay claim to the mantle of the Republican Party's nomination. I, my, my assumption is he's hearing footsteps in the mm-hmm. person of Ron DeSantis. I mean, I still think Trump's the odds-on favorite, but you know, there's somebody out there who, at least if you believe the polling, you know, could mm-hmm. give him a vigorous challenge, which. If I were in Trump's shoes, that would also cause me to be a little more definitive in my willy or won't conversations. Generally speaking, Republicans aren't paying as much attention to the January 6th committee in, in Washington as, as Democrats are and, and others. But, you know, there is a lot of chatter there about the disqualification clause of the U.S. Constitution, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, that expressly bans any person, you know, who was engaged in insurrection from... Uh, you know, holding office. But who decides that? Well, that's a good question. I mean, this, uh, I just, this feels far-fetched to me. I mean, look, I, I think the reality is everyone needs to internalize this. He's going to run. Mm-hmm. He is quite likely going to be the nominee. And, you know, everybody's going to have to deal with but it. But here's the question, though. doesn't make it right or wrong, depending on your persuasion. Well, but that, to me, that's the most likely reality we're living here in. Here I said a moment ago, and just, of course I'm projecting, you know, I said jump the shark and a bridge too far. Is there anything Donald Trump can say that would be too much for his base? Have people been asking that question since 2015? <laughs> no. I guess I, mean, I guess I don't know if, if January 6th changes anything. Oh, I think there are some people who supported him all the way through, voted for him twice, agreed with most of the things he did in office, and, and probably broke with him on that. But I think at the moment they broke with him on January 6th, they thought, well, there's no way he could ever possibly come back from this. Well, he's coming back from it. Right. Now, my suspicion is some of those people won't return to support him, and they would love to have an alternative. But, you know, the question is, will there be one? And, you know, we get right down to it in four years, um, just laying out the political science of it here. If you've got Donald Trump, who you voted for twice, but you're really mad at over January 6th, and you've got Joe Biden, who's a disaster, or some other more liberal Democrat... You know, the, the, the pull to go home will be strong. What we've learned, though, every time Trump is on the ballot or at the center of an election, it doesn't go well from a popular vote standpoint. He lost the popular vote twice. Midterm vote, you know, we got washed out in the House in 18, although we did better in the Senate states because they were more rural. 
you know, if we put him back on the ballot, I, I can tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, there's a high likelihood uh, a whole bunch of people who would ordinarily vote Republican just won't either vote or they might vote Democrat the way they did in the Atlanta suburbs. So I, you know, I mean, we're going to have to reckon with that as a, as a Republican Party at some point. We're not there yet, but it's coming. I just, I'll just be curious to see what actually, I mean, every week I see some bulletin, some news channel somewhere talking about this is the revelation for the, for the committee that's going to make all the difference. As we're recording this on Wednesday night of February 2nd, there are apparently the some some Mike Pence, uh, you know, papers that are going to be re- revealed with the committee that from the National Archives and it's going to allow that. And at some point that might change some people's testimony depending upon what's public and what's not public. I don't know. It's very dizzying to me. I can't figure out what, but you know, it's all what that, the scale of all this. It's all know? that's going on. You know, what is the conversation that average people are having? I mean, as we're sitting here, a story is posted tonight. Uh-huh. Los Angeles Mayor Garcetti says he held his breath for his no. maskless photo with no. Magic Johnson. No, he did not. So at the at the big football game, <laughs> you had Gavin Newsom, the California governor, the L.A. mayor. They're all running around without their masks on, right. violating all the rules. And according to this story, L.A. mayor Eric Garcetti today defended his actions after maskless photos surfaced with him and Magic Johnson. Uh, uh, let's see. I'll take personal responsibility, and if it makes you and everyone else happy... I was literally holding my breath. I won't even do that. I mean, it... it, it I Not mean, the first prominent Democrat to say I didn't inhale. I mean... Uh, <laughs> but, oh, man. So the reason I bring it up in the context of Trump is this: there is so much ridiculous double standard right. going on in this country. And Trump, you know, the, the reason he got elected in the first place was because of a rejection of the behavior of the elites. Well, guess what? The behavior has not gotten any better. In fact, it's gotten worse. And so this kind of crap right here, this is how you get Trump again. This is how you get Trump. It's this. It's the lady in Loudoun County at the school system today who said any child that shows up without a mask is going to be charged with trespassing. Do you know trespassing is a felony in Virginia? Throw them in jail, $2,500 fine. All over the country, these elites are proving again why they must be put in their place. And that's how we got Trump in the first place, because he came along and promised to do it. Somebody's going to come along and have to do it again. And, it, and it's a bipartisan problem across the world. I mean, we should, we should note the fact that, you know, Boris Johnson right now is under fire in his own country for having a number of parties or participating and visiting from parties while he was putting in his own lockdown. Uh, you know, this it's, – it's an elite problem. It's not a political you know, problem. something I learned about – British politics over the course of this is that apparently the entire job description is to attend parties. I didn't realize that being <laughs> prime minister of Great Britain was essentially just three to five parties a day. I sort of applaud it. I mean, I'm a, I think I, I sort of think this would be a good way to govern a country, just constant parties. We should have never left. <laughs> is that what you're saying? I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, Are you know, saying Tom Paine was wrong? Oh, there you go. There you go. Here, here we back. Now, I was going to turn to Sean when you mentioned elites, uh, but, but that was... Uh, <laughs> well, he is wearing a Harvard, he is wearing a Harvard sweatshirt. <laughs> that, that is true. You actually teach there. I do. I am okay, a, that's I a whole am, other story. I am a lecturer, yeah. I do want to ask you, though, uh, uh, to, to, to segue into our next uh, topic of conversation about the, about the cancel culture recent developments oh. here. Joe Rogan, something we know about that, and with the, his 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 COVID disinformation guest, if you want to call it that, Whoopi Goldberg on the View 
her, her views and her characterizations of the Holocaust. Let me ask you before I'm going to share my my pointed opinion as as our as our resident scholar, Sean, and and philosopher King. Tell tell me tell me about your your thoughts on this. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with Joe Rogan. I think Joe Rogan's show is literally just a conversation show. It's a talk show. Um, I did listen recently to his four and a half hour. Uh, podcast with Jordan Peterson, which was phenomenal. I think everyone should listen to you it. You listen to all four and a half hours? Sure. I drive to Frankfurt every day. So, I mean... Well, it, was, it takes like 50 minutes to get there. Did you just keep driving back and forth? <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> twice a day, just back and forth. But, you know, I, I don't really enjoy cancel culture. I think that, you know, people who are on talk shows should be able to speak their mind and have open conversations our friend of the podcast, Eric Erickson, said today that, that he thinks that people have been hard on both Joe Rogan and Whoopi Goldberg. The thing is, is that I think that Whoopi took a step too far on some of this stuff and and seems to literally not know history uh, about, you know, how the Nazis viewed race. Uh, and I, so I, I just I just think that, you know, I'm a free speech guy. I think that people should be able to speak their minds. I don't have a problem with people being criticized for for what sure. they say. Right. I think that that is part of the marketplace of ideas. I think Joe Rogan is is you know part of that. The, the reason we're talking about Joe Rogan now is because you have all these musicians on Spotify now saying that oh well you can take my music off there because you know he he's a you know a disinformation person. I mean he's even come and said you know. I think that maybe I should have done a better job and maybe hearing different people or having different perspectives on. Uh, that's, a, that's a good talk show host that comes and, out and says that. But I think that people who are going after him are going after him because they do not like him as a person. It's, well, I, it has nothing to do with his show. It has the fact that he has power and influence and that he is dominating and disrupting the media environment more than anything else. I think all these people trying to cancel Joe Rogan have never listened to his show. I mean, he... He literally, well, first of all, when he's not talking about MMA or other sort of non-hot topics. Or psychotropic it, drugs. Yeah. I yeah. mean, or endorsing Bernie Sanders, you know. I, I mean, he literally has people on, and he just asks them questions, and they say things. But it's not like he's on there necessarily endorsing. He, he, he's doing what a talk show host does. Um, and so I, I don't think people have actually, I think it's like a lot of things in our culture. You hear what your tribe, how your tribe describes something and then you just run with it, whether you've heard it yourself or not. So you just sort of join the collective narrative. That's what they do. You know, I, the thing that's most offensive to me about Whoopi Goldberg is, is how, I mean, are we just now coming to grips with the fact of how stupid these people are. I'm sorry. This is the dumbest show on television. Right. The collective IQ of these people could not be a about political affairs, which, by the way, they're paid by a major network to get on TV every day and talk about serious political affairs and interview serious people. You could fill half of a thimble with what they know about our history, our political affairs. It's not just this Whoopi Goldberg thing on the Holocaust. You listen to their topics and the way they describe, I mean, it is mind-numbingly stupid. You like the marketplace of ideas? It's a convenience store of stupidity. And so Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg, look, I think there is an ingrained anti-Semitism on the left. And it's so, it is so ingrained and so casual for them, they don't even realize when they're doing it. But what we really learned is just how dumb people are about important historical facts, the, the reason our 
polit- our world politics developed the way they did, and the casual stupidity that they then pass off, you know, as as uh, you know, enlightened conversation. It is offensive. It is offensive. It, really? Are you telling me those are the four smartest people we could find to talk about political affairs in an entertaining way? I'll say I'll say two things. One, the way that like if you actually watch the clip, that the way that she flippantly says, "Just you white people go figure this out on your own." It's yeah. just white like that. That is just awful. And then and then and then her 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 comment to Stephen Colbert trying to clean it up. Well, you know, the Nazis didn't consider it a racial thing. I mean, you you can see the stupidity in her eyes, like just absolute ignorance of, of a topic. By the way, she's 66 years old. Ultimately, the statement she put out, well, I've learned a lot. You know, I've this has been learned. You're 66 years old and you've never bothered to stop and learn about what is possibly the most horrific event of the last, you know, 100 years in this world? I mean... And you're paid to go on television and, and talk about stuff in which you have to have some modicum of intelligence? I mean, it's 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 offensive. Your second point. My, my second point is that I, th- I think that, you know, a lot of people live in echo chambers, and there's no bigger echo chamber, chamber than The View. When was the last time that they actually had a real conservative come on their show to have an intellectual conversation about anything. No, they, they they have had conservatives, and they bring them on to turn them into punching bags. And now they can't find one to replace Meghan McCain, who I think did a pretty fair job, actually, of holding her own mm-hmm. against this, you know. But, uh, but, but my point is not, the, not the fact that they had some token conservative on there. I'm saying, when was the last time that they had an actual conversation with somebody where they there was an exchange of ideas? I mean, it's daytime television. It's not meant to be a place where people learn or grow or, or anything. It's it's just it's just crap. It's to fill fill the air. But ultimately, you're talking about a situation where, and to your point, where but people are not interested in a real conversation. They're interested basically in saying there's a certain group of people, back to the elites, who are in charge of deciding this is what you're allowed to say and, and what what is a provable speech. But what makes me feel confident and optimistic about the future is that the Joe Rogans of the world have more listeners mm. than, for now. For now. I mean, until, but, until it's throttled but I mean, in some way. I mean, Spotify is, Spot, is but standing. But, but, there but Spotify some... is, is this close. I mean, I'm not saying that they are, but I'm just saying is they could, like any other streaming media, decide based upon other pressure mm-hmm. to say it's not they worth could right now, but I can tell you, I can tell you, I think they could lose like a f- several more major million listener audiences and they know that there are 11 million people who listen to Joe Rogan every single podcast. But I have seen some people uh, on this front, let's say they did fire him, argue that it would be a good thing for Joe Rogan because if he went and set up his own platform and distributed his own material, because right now Spotify is the only place you can hear Joe Rogan, but if he went out and distributed his own material, he might actually grow. He's, he's, well, might, he's well known enough now as a brand, yes. courtesy of the Spotify reach, to yeah. be able to do this on his own. And so ultimately that would hurt them and help him. Yeah. So that I could, I could, I, I, it's an interesting business case for him hoping. Yeah. <laughs> hoping. But, you know, his his attempt at being contrite told me he doesn't want that. Back to your, but marketplace of ideas, though, is where I always come down on all this. I don't, I don't even, I don't listen to Joe Rogan, and I probably should because we do a podcast here and he's, one of the most popular people to do it because I learned a few things from him. But I don't listen. I don't watch The View. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. But I don't have any problem with either of them saying stupid things or smart things. I, To me, the marketplace of ideas is ultimately what works. You know, it's interesting. I, I was watching this debate unfold today, and some conservatives, you mentioned Eric and the National Review, I think, came down on this. 
that Rogan and Goldberg should not be fired and suspended. There were other conservatives who said, look, I don't like cancel culture, but, you know, this will never stop until somebody on the left gets canceled in this way. And so she should, Whoopi should get a taste of their own medicine. It, so you, you, there was a bit of divide in the, in the conservative ranks today. But there have been a lot of these people who are being quote unquote canceled that are quote unquote members of the left. I mean, all of these people, whether it's Dave Chappelle, whether it's all these comedians I and mean, this, this podcast with, with Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, a, a good 25, 30 minutes of it was a discussion about how members of the left who are comedians are being canceled because comedy is now off limits. And so, like, I, I agree with you, Scott, but at the same time, like, you know, this is going to continue to happen because there's nothing that's allowed to be funny anymore to a lot of these people. What are people afraid of? I mean, I mean, what is, I mean, I'm being honest here. What are people afraid of in terms of people just expressing their opinion? I don't understand. Well, it, this is a continuation of this of this idea that's this corrosive idea that's come up over the last few years on college campuses that speech is violence. Words, that words, words are, are dangerous, well, and, that, and that human thought must be controlled right. because we might accidentally be offended. I don't know if you've all followed the Georgetown Law thing with right. the Shapiro right. uh, guy, but they're literally in this meeting with the the dean of law school the other day demanding things. One of the things they demanded was they need a, a special room to go cry. I mean, the, the, the discourse going on here and, the, and the, the fear of discourse, it's really, it makes me fear for the, I mean, these are supposed to be lawyers in training. I mean, what happens when they get into a courtroom and some aggressive opposing counsel, what are they going to run off into the bathroom and cry for 15 minutes? I mean, toughen up. Speech is not dangerous. Speech is the foundation of America. And we typically sort it out. And the people who have the best ideas typically rises. And so... the this is the authoritarian impulse of the left. I will control you by stamping out any competing view that I don't like. It is They don't like the marketplace of ideas because the possibility of someone choosing a different product exists. They want to eliminate that possibility. Well, so far, the Flyover Country, the podcast with uh, Scott Jennings has not been canceled. Not yet. Congratulations on We're that. We're working on it, though. Uh, <laughs> we, are we brought indeed. up all the hot topics this week. Kevin, Sean, Scott, I'm Joe. Uh, a little scene red heard before the uh, end of the week. You got anything for me, Kevin? Yeah. Uh, the wife and I are really excited to get back into our big first show. Uh, we're going to go see a comedian, John Mulaney, here in Louisville in a few weeks. So we've been boning up on our uh, comedy shows. We watched one of Ali Wong's specials uh, not too long ago. Is that on Netflix? On Netflix. So yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with the streaming media. <laughs> yeah, you have a Roku, which is like something people had in 2009. Is Roku not... People, I've got a Roku. People don't really I've use got, it. I've got all the TVs in my house are now Roku TVs. Oh, wow. Okay. Whoa. What's wrong with you? What do you want? This is Harvard sweatshirt <laughs> man over here I telling us all Roku's are TV, bad. Like oh, it's person. the same thing. Oh, it's, it's much a better. streaming device. Oh, it's much better. It is a better. portal for your stream. Oh. I should mention, when I mentioned Roku before, there was no like sponsorship dollars involved with this. There was just a complete just, you know, go ahead. I just watched a, I believe it's a nine or ten episode series on Netflix called The girl in the window across the street from the woman in the house or something stupid like that. Uh, Will Ferrell is a producer and it's kind of a spoof of all of these horror flicks that you see that have been popular. It's like a spoof of Gone Girl, uh, that sort of thing. And it is hilarious when you realize that it is a spoof. 
I did not realize that it was a spoof until three episodes in. <laughs> and the whole time I'm like, this is the this is garbage. This why are people watching this? And then when you realize it, it's like pretty funny. So I But you invested like, you, you said it was stupid for three episodes and you still clicked on to episode of number course. four. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean they were only like twenty minutes a piece. So That's right. uh, it stars Kristen Bell. It's it's pretty good. I would recommend it. Uh it, it's very hilarious. It involves uh, you know, whether or not this uh this woman uh who combi- combines a prescription drugs and wine is actually sees a murder take place or not uh and it's it's a really funny show once you realize that it is a parody i'll stick with netflix just because both of you have done some some comedy some some a parody and i uh have watched now that the last season of i'm a huge fan of a show called afterlife on netflix but with ricky gervais and it is really just, and I just stumbled upon it at some point. I may have come up with my algorithm as far as it's recommending it. I think I just it, fell asleep listening to you talk about what this is. <laughs> <laughs> what what is sailing Joe? <laughs> what? This is terrible. <laughs> Joe, it comes up in our algorithm too. <laughs> it, it does anyway. Really? But, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to it, me. Is, <laughs> it, is, it is a fascinating exploration, basically, and a very candid, honest, if not profane look at uh, someone's walk through grief. and But it's very funny. It's very irreverent. Again, it's profane, so brace yourself. But three seasons total, and I recommend it wholeheartedly. Well, I have a couple things I wanted to mention. There's three University of Louisville graduates sitting at this table. However, I am also a University of Kentucky basketball fan, grew up one, and I watched them kick the ever-living you-know-what out of Kansas last weekend, and it was one of the most dominant college basketball things I've seen in, in a while. And so that was one thing. Number two, I read in Fortune magazine, there's an article called The Texas Roadhouse Founder Scribbled His Vision for the Steakhouse on a Napkin and Was Rejected 100 Times Before Building a $5.8 Billion Empire. It is about Kent Taylor, the CEO of Texas Roadhouse, who committed suicide uh, a while back and after he got COVID and had tinnitus in his ear and it became so bad and it, I mean, it, it drove him to suicide. But there's a really good article by a writer named Manur Khan, January 31st edition of Fortune. If you have heard of Ken Taylor but don't know his story, this was a really, really descriptive uh, thing and I, it was worth picking up. Does it explain why Texas Roadhouse was headquartered in Louisville, Kentucky? He's from Louisville. So there you have it. <laughs> Great question, Kevin. What other brain busters do you have for me? <laughs> Man. If you want to defend me, make fun of Kevin or any other comments. Oh, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't yes. end this podcast yet. Why's that? Well, our producer, Tom Brady. Oh, boy. I oh. mean, I mean, Jared's. Our resident bogey boy. I mean, I'm just going to mention real quick the Flyover Pod on Twitter is, is at the Flyover Pod. Any comments, questions, yeah. or defense, or if you want to talk to Jared about David Ortiz or Tom Brady. Or his hat. Uh, what do you do? What, what, I mean, how did you feel? You know, it. I, I think people sort of ask me this. Whenever Brady left the Patriots, I think most Patriots fans knew that day might come. Yeah. I knew this day would come, but it still feels surreal. Like, it's weird to me that the NFL season will start next year and Tom Brady is not suiting up. It stinks. I mean, if we go out in the parking lot. Wait, how old are you? 27. So he's so he started whole, playing when you were five. Yeah, my whole but my whole life has been Tom Brady, right? I mean, like, since, you know, 2001. What a, what I would a have been weird six. thing to say. He's been playing <laughs> NFL football since he was five. And I yeah. guess, I guess, 
you were one when he was playing college football. I mean, this is this is a your entire life. Yeah, I mean, wow. my entire fandom too, right? Like, it, it, even when he left, I didn't know a Patri- uh, Tom Brady list Patriots. It's weird. It's a little sad. Um, I, like my house is littered with with pictures, and th- I mean, growing up, he was my idol. So yeah, I mean, it stinks, but it's still a little surreal. I I, I feel like there's. I don't know. I feel like I need more, like some sort of retirement ceremony or you need something. More. He, he played for 43 <laughs> no, I, years. I, I know, and, and Pat's fans have, have been kind of criticized because he left the Patriots out of his uh, retirement announcement. It was very Bucks heavy. I don't know. I, I still kind of want him to like sign a one day. Like I want more. If they, it's, if it's, they have a big, in denial, I if think. they have an event, whatever stage of grief that if is. If they have a parade or an event or something in Boston, will you go? Uh, I would like to. I knew um, it. I knew it. Yeah, I mean it's he it, he was he is Boston sports. He is my childhood. Like we were a football family. I played football starting at nine, and everybody everybody was Brady, right? It didn't matter if you were playing left tackle; you were Tom Brady at left tackle. So it's it's surreal. It's sad. I just never. He was just so good last year. I just didn't think he was going to retire. And the way it happened, it really, really stinks. Who who occupies this space in the rest of your lives? Like Sean, <laughs> is there like a childhood athletic hero for you that sort of was you know played that kind of role that Tom Brady played for Jerry? I mean, Understanding that Brady's a unique property. Yeah. I mean, like when when I was growing up, like the two athletes that I admired most, and you know. We talked about the steroid stuff a little bit ago, like a few podcast episodes ago. But one was Mark McGuire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the football player was Brett Favre. Just mm-hmm. he was he was my icon. I was a Packers fan growing up. Monday Night Football. It was it was just Brett Favre was the guy. And you know there was a lot of is he going to retire? Is he not going to retire? I mean it, he retired like three times. Yeah. So. And so I mean that was <laughs> that was like when I was in high school. It was Brett Favre's retirement, and like that was big. That was big. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I had an athlete. I mean, I, I'm a huge Cardinals fan, St. Louis Cardinals fan. And Scott, you and I, you and I met uh, Ozzie Smith when he was here in Louisville, and and uh, you know, I, I, he was maybe like the, the the biggest name, I guess, when I was growing up, kind of thing. But the person who I kind of I always wanted to meet, my hero, mm-hmm. hero, hero. This shows you how old I am, Sean. You can just I, I'm prepare you. I'm getting ready. Fun of me was Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was somebody who was just an American hero. You know, Brigadier General in the Air Force. You know, great actor, just a just a, a, a decent human being. You should have just gotten a job in Mr. Potter's bank. You would have been fine. That's antithetical. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> you know, growing up for me, I'll I'll say um, as a Cardinals fan, I was a Little League first baseman, so I loved the Cardinals first baseman, Jack Clark, mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper for three seasons was like that was my prime time Little League years, and he was so. So, but Ozzie Smith, of course, you know, who we did meet, we, yeah. you know, we, we wound up meeting, but I will tell you that the larger than life person for me was Hulk Hogan in my, ha- in my household, in my household, you know, my dad is not a talkative man, but the one thing he and I could always converse about was the wrestling we watched together on Monday nights and the occasional Saturday night main event. And if the Hulkster had wrestled or we saw Hulk Hogan, we had something to talk about. And I remember he and I once went to a wrestling match, he took me, and we saw Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, and we saw some of the you know these guys. And anyway, Hulk Hogan for me, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'd love to get Hulk Hogan on this podcast. <laughs> I know I, we've had some good political people. We've got a non-political one coming up. Uh, I want to try to get the Hulkster on here because it would be, I mean, that would be an amazing moment. And you try to get Tom Brady on here. Yeah. 
And maybe we have them on together. And yeah. <laughs> well, not, not to jump over Kevin quickly, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Scott, too, because that sort of, like, I, I never met Tom Brady. I don't know if I ever will meet Tom Brady. But, like, when I think of Tom Brady, I think of watching games with my brothers. Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. I think of playing football growing up in the backyard, like, with my dad. And so I think that's why sure. it's, like, he's so such a big part of so many of, like, my generation's life is because so much of, like, my favorite moments in college were like with my friends mm-hmm. when they won Super Bowls, and because they, you know, people forget they won six of them, so it was a lot of celebration, celebrating. And so, like, I think those moments are what made him so huge. I mean, he's a larger than life figure for like so many like middle aged guys who look and dress like like right. I just all my friends would like literally die for him. And I think, <laughs> I mean, and I, whoa, I like, I don't think that's an exaggeration, but I think it's because he's so tied to like so many of our childhoods and stuff like that. It is unfortunate the Patriots cheated the Rams out of that one Super Bowl, but Kevin, who, who, who fits the bill? My, my story is pretty similar to everybody else. Uh, I grew up in near Cincinnati, so I was a Reds fan. Uh, watching Ken Griffey Jr. play, oh, yeah. um, you know, he he was the the player who my dad helped me teach baseball and. I Ken Griffey once. Jr. Oh yeah, he, the Reds toured the White House when I worked for President Bush, and Ken Griffey Jr. was there, and his kids came, and they ran out onto the north lawn of the White House, and I, for a brief moment, my life passed before my <laughs> eyes because I thought the, like the the dogs they have there, like patrolling the grounds, were going to go, and take out Ken Griffey Jr.'s children on my watch. And uh, and so it didn't happen, thank goodness. Well, thank you for not ruining <laughs> my childhood by letting that happen. My Griffey story, if I could, was when I went up to the Reds Clubhouse one year. I have a friend of mine who's an umpire, and we were up there early to, to talk to an umpire friend of his, and I was just hanging out in the clubhouse. Ken Griffey Jr., uh, the rest of the Reds are out all taking uh, some taking fielding practice, and he did. He was not. He was just in the clubhouse, and I was – Adamant, I was 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 not going to be like hello, Mister Griffey, you know, real stupid. So I literally like try to ignore him. I mean, I, so I but, but usually before every ball game, they show on the televisions in the clubhouse the previous start of the opposing pitcher against your ball club. You can kind of review what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I was just watching the previous Cardinals player who was pitching against the Reds, and suddenly I realized the presence beside me is is Ken Griffey Jr. and he's watching too, and he looks up at the. At the screen, all of a sudden, he just says, fastball inside. I said, how do you – I said, this game was three months ago. How do you remember? And it was him batting. It was a home run. Wow. And I was like, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> that's, that's my Ken Griffey story. I mean, did anybody have a sweeter swing than Ken Griffey? Yeah. Oh, it's I mean, impressive. it was just yeah. – I like – I mean, the dude, just the fluidity of it and the grace and just – I mean, gorgeous. Made it fun. He did. Tell us who your favorites are. Let us know your thoughts on the Flyover Country with Scott Jennings podcast. On Twitter, it's at the Flyover Pod. You also can leave us a voicemail on that website called speakpipe.com. Not Roku, Sean, but speakpipe.com slash the Flyover Pod. We had a big interview drop this week with the governor of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, I highly encourage it. He did a terrific job. I truthfully didn't know much about him before we brought him on, and I was really impressed with him. He's uh, up for re-election in Oklahoma. He won his first race in a really interesting way, um, big primary, and it was an interesting story. So I highly recommend the Kevin Stitt uh, interview we did. Uh, could I, I could see him making a play for national, uh, uh, you know, notoriety later in the party. So I was glad to have him coming up. The next big interview we have. Dr. Jason Fung, of he's an author. 
He's kind of the modern-day godfather of intermittent fasting. He's written the obesity code, the diabetes code, the new, the, can- the cancer code. Like, he is, he, this guy, I have been so impressed with everything I've read. He decided to come on the pod, and Joe and I talked to him about intermittent fasting and how it may be a cure for the diabetes epidemic that we're facing as a culture. So that's coming up next. And then in a few weeks, we're having my friend, and who I, I am so excited about, Mary Catherine Hamm, Republican commentator, uh, been on CNN with her a lot. Uh, she's a prolific writer. She's a really compelling life story, tragic, uh, but she's such a fighter and uh, uh, such an articulate like spokesperson for conservative views. And you know, I, great writer. I'm, I'm so excited. But Mary Catherine's going to come on. We're going. I'm going to talk to her. I think she's going to be a special guest panelist uh, around the State of the Union. So she's coming up. Then Joe, we have to come up with. I think we have to come up with somebody from baseball to talk about. Hopefully, the, to, the, to bury it. Yeah, hopefully the lockout will end, and uh, and we'll and we'll be able to get to it. But I, I'd love to do a baseball show uh, before the season starts. So we got to work on that. So I'm grateful to all the guests. Grateful to all the listeners. Anybody else got anything for the good of the order this week, folks? Stay safe. Stay warm. Good luck with your lights coming back on throughout the ice storm. Update your Roku's firmware. Goodbye. (laughs) Flyover Pod with me, Scott Jennings. See you later. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. And you can also find me at scottjenningsky on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full, upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing, and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. 